folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, we're going to have a look at some recent announcements from PyPI, actually, which I thought uh, quite interesting uh, from a number of different security aspects. Plus, going to have a little bit of a roundup of some topics discussed at the Linux Security Summit in North America. A couple of different Ubuntu security team members went along to that. Uh, and the recent announcement that uh, 1804 LTS will soon be transitioning into extended security maintenance and what the impact of that is. But before we do all that, let's have a look at uh, the different vulnerabilities that were fixed in the past week by the Ubuntu security team. So this week there were 83 unique uh, CVEs addressed uh, across a bunch of packages like CUPS filters, uh, Linux kernel, Git, Run C, N cursors, and a heap of others. So let's just dive into all of that. Like I said, up first was a vulnerability in CUPS filters. Uh, and this was within uh, the legacy backend error handler uh, sort of subsystem of that, which allows you to create a network accessible printer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this, you know, this backend has kind of been uh, unmaintained for quite a while and it had quite a pretty easy remote code execution vulnerability there because it used the system, system call with a bunch of different parameters that could be controlled by a remote attacker who would submit a print job. So basically then was a very easy way to do a remote code execution through that. Uh, that was fixed by Upstream to use combination of fork and exec VE to do that, plus a heap of other smaller changes to uh, sanitize the input that it was being passed. So that was good to see. Then uh, our kernel team's been busy with a heap of different kernel updates. So the kernel for 1804 LTS, which is a 4.15 based kernel, and uh, this is also used uh, for the Oracle Cloud in 16.04 in this case, fixed uh, five different CVEs there. We also had an update for the kernel for Raspberry Pi in Ubuntu 22.04 that fixed 10 different CVEs, including a mixture of different use after freeze in various drivers and subsystems, the possible speculative execution attack against AMD x86.64 processors, uh, when you have uh, SMT or symmetric multi-threading enabled, uh, plus a few different type confusion bugs that would lead to out-of-bounds reads and the like were all fixed. Similarly, uh, the 4.15 kernel in 22.04 LTS that's used on uh, GKE and GCP uh, cloud environments was updated for that same set of vulnerabilities as well on 20.04 LTS, again used on GKE, GCP and Oracle clouds. An OEM kernel was updated for Ubuntu 22.04 LTS. This is based on the upstream 6.0 kernel series. Uh, this is used on some different uh, OEM platforms that come with Ubuntu pre-installed. In this case, it was an issue in the Intel i915 driver uh, failing to properly flush uh, the GPU's TLB in some cases. Uh, that could lead to possible denial of service or remote code execution. Then the maintainers of the 5.19 based kernel in Ubuntu 22.10 have been very busy, rolled in fixes for 25 different CVEs here. So this is uh, a lot of the different issues that I mentioned uh, just previously, plus uh, some more of the same sort of type. So different race conditions, use after freeze, out of bounds rights, etc., and the like in various different drivers and subsystems were all fixed there. Similarly, the kernel for Ubuntu 22.10 on GCP, uh, also used as the hardware enablement kernel on 22.04 LTS, was updated for those same set of 25 CVEs. We had an update for the 4.15 based kernel in Azure environments. That's for Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, 16.04 ESM and 14.04 ESM. The 5.4 based kernel for NVIDIA Bluefield platforms was updated for nine different CVEs as well as used on Ubuntu 20.04 LTS. 
Uh, what else? The 5.4 based kernel for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, and that's also used as the hardware enablement kernel on Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. For, and that is for all the different kernel flavors there, basically. So the generic kernel, uh, the kernel used on various clouds like Azure, GKE, IBM, AWS, uh, the KVM uh, flavor of the kernel, as well as uh, the OEM kernel and the low latency one as well were all updated. And finally, we had five different CVEs updated for the 4.15 based kernel used on 18.04 on uh, Snapdragon and Raspberry Pi platforms. And that's also a hardware enablement kernel for 16.04 ESM as well. So as always, thank you so much to the kernel team uh, for yeah, rolling in all of those different vulnerability fixes and keeping everyone safe. Moving on, we had an update for Git for a couple of different CVEs for 16.04 ESM. There was a remote code execution vulnerability here through a crafted uh, .git modules file. Essentially in that if you had uh, submodule URLs that were longer than 1024 characters, you could actually then inject arbitrary config into the user's git config file. And so you can imagine there if you could configure you know, some arbitrary pager command to run or something else, then you've got arbitrary code execution as a result the next time they go and run git and have it say run through a pager or similar. As well, there was a local file overwrite vulnerability that could uh, occur through crafted input to git apply when used in combination with the dash dash reject flag. Uh, essentially, you could get yeah, uh, a file outside of the git repository overwritten as uh, the output of that. Run C was updated for three CVEs for all of our, I guess, more modern releases. So 18.04 LTS, 20.04 LTS, 22.04 LTS, 22.10 and 23.04, the Lunar Lobster. In this case, uh, three different vulnerabilities were fixed here. Uh, a vulnerability where the cgroup hierarchy of the host may then be exposed within a container and possibly be writable within that container. That would then potentially allow uh, the someone within the container to escalate their privileges. There was also a regression from a previous fix from a vulnerability back in 2019. Uh, if you want to go hear more about that, actually, I've got a link in the show notes where I discussed that one back all the way back in episode 66. And there was also another vulnerability where it was possible to bypass AppArm or SE Linux restrictions uh, on RunC within the container as well. Uh, those fixes and a few others were also backported for RunC in 16.04 ESM. Uh, Minimatch was updated. In this case, it was a regular expression denial of service vulnerability against this Node.js package that was uh, fixed there. Ruby was updated. Uh, I actually talked about this one uh, a few episodes ago, back in episode 194. In that case, we had to uh, back out one of those fixes. Uh, they were also both regular expression denial of service vulnerabilities for those of you playing at home. But uh, in that case, yeah, one of those had to be backed out. Uh, this has now been updated properly. So that is also fixed for Ruby for, uh, yeah, all the way back to 16.04 ESM and since. Uh, the Venerable Tar package was updated for a single vulnerability uh, that was actually talked about back in episode 189 where we updated for all of, at that point, all the sort of stable releases. Now that Lunar Lobster has been released, that has also been updated there. Uh, similarly, we had an update for LibLui as well. For three different CVEs that were fixed for the other releases uh, earlier in the year. Again, they've now been updated as well for uh, Luna. Ncurses was updated for five different CVEs, and this update goes all the way back to 14.04 ESM plus 16.04 ESM, 18.04, 20.04, 22.04 LTS respectively, and uh, the two currently supported instrument releases, uh, 22.10 and 23.04. Uh, like I said, five different CVEs here. 
Uh, the most interesting vulnerability here was the possibility to corrupt memory through a malformed term info database, which you could set either via the term info environment variable or through uh, a crafted uh, .term info file within the user's home directory, that kind of thing. Uh, turns out that if you have a set UID binary, this will also respect the term info parameter. And so if you have a set UID root binary that's using end cursors, uh, you can then possibly get uh, memory corruption within that set UID binary. And then you can imagine you could possibly get code execution within that set UID binary. And that now means you've got a privilege escalation to root there. Uh, Turns out that NCurses has a build-time configuration option to disable the use of this custom term info or term cap database when running as root. So yeah, we've just gone and turned that off so that can't easily be exploited anymore. Uh, what else? We've got an update for our various OpenStack components. So I talked about these back in episode 195. Uh, there was a regression from that. So we've released uh, updates for all of those now to fix that. So that's Cinder, Glance Store, Nova and OS Brick. Go was updated for a single vulnerability back in 16.04 ESM. Uh, Cloud Init was updated for a regression in 20.04 LTS. Uh, turns out uh, there was a Cloud Init update published a few weeks ago. Uh, this was due to a vulnerability where credentials may accidentally get logged to the Cloud Init log file. To fix this, we uh, brought back a newer version of Cloud Init and unfortunately it turned out that relied on a feature within the NetPlan package that wasn't uh, available in the security pocket in 20.04 LTS. Now, one way to fix this would have been to bring that version of NetPlan into the security pocket as well. So anyone running uh, that new version of Cloud in it would get the new version of NetPlan as well. But given that there was no real security issue fixed in NetPlan itself through that update, that's not really appropriate. So in this case, a new update for Cloud in it uh, was done where essentially it kind of uh, worked around this uh, behavior that was expected in NetPlan to make sure that it would still work with the older version. And that would mean then that you know, when uh, it would properly retain our default routes. What else? JHead was updated. Uh, this is an XIF JPEG manipulation header tool written in C. And so like a lot of things written in C, it has the usual kind of vulnerabilities here. So uh, heat buffer overflow, null pointer dereferences, out of bounds reads, all the usual mix of things that we see. So yeah, JHead's been updated all the way back to 14.04 ESM uh, and through to 20.04 LTS and the releases in between. Uh, what else? Uh, XML DOM was updated. This is a Node.js JavaScript uh, DOM parser and XML serializer for three different vulnerabilities here. Uh, one of those was a logic error where it failed to preserve identifiers or namespaces when parsing malicious documents. So essentially get confused about that. Uh, there was a prototype pollution vulnerability there as well. Uh, speaking of prototype pollution, I'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, plus an issue with uh, parsing of documents with multiple top level elements. So uh, in that case, it would combine all of the elements and that's you know, really contrary to expectation because a document should really only have one top level element. So yeah, should just error it out on that, which it uh, now does. Bin Utils was updated for six different CVEs going all the way back to 14.04 ESM and every release since. Uh, this is the package that contains all the low-level bits like assemblers and linkers and that kind of thing and a bunch of other utilities for handling binary files as well. It's generally not expected that you are feeding this untrusted input. So a lot of these usually get downgraded in terms of severity, but nonetheless, we've gone and fixed them anyway. So this includes things like various buffer overflows, both read and write buffer overflows. So you can imagine that leads to denial of service in the read case or maybe you know, the ability to you know read arbitrary memory, but probably not, not with bin utils. Uh, uh, but uh, in this case, code execution as well through uh, the write buffer overflows. So, you know, code execution, but as the user running bin utils, so probably not a giant issue there. Uh, Firefox was updated for a regression in the most recent upstream release. So that's now at version 
2, and that's for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS and 18.04 LTS. And the last thing updated this week was JSON schema. Uh, this is a Node.js package again, in this case for JSON document manipulation. Uh, it also had a prototype pollution vulnerability, as I mentioned just previously for XML DOM. And if you want to know more about prototype pollution, I discussed that in a bit more detail back in episode 192 when talking about the object path package. And essentially, it's a kind of JavaScript specific type of vulnerability. So yeah, if you're interested in that, go uh, listen back to that one. Well, and that is it for the week in security updates. Okay, so uh, I saw some interesting stuff that came through uh, from PyPI, the upstream kind of Python package index, and uh, all of these security related. So I thought it would be interesting to look at some of that. The first one was that they have removed PGP support from PyPI. Now, if you're a PyPI developer and publisher, you can uh, sign your package with uh, GPG, and now they've gone and uh, removed that support. Uh, essentially, uh, this is in response to a recent blog post that detailed an audit of uh, the PGP ecosystem uh, within PyPI. Turns out that most devs are not using PGP signatures on their packages anyway, and of those that were, only 30 percent uh, of their keys were not available on the major public key servers. So, you know, 30, on, on average, you pick a package, and uh, one in three basically, you won't even be able to validate that PGP signature if it has one. And of those that were, nearly half of those were not able to be meaningly verified because some of their keys had expired, and others had no binding signature to be able to verify that uh, upstream certificate itself. So, yeah, really, uh, PGP not a very useful way of verifying packages within uh, PyPI and actually since a lot of the key servers have now removed the web of trust model due to that kind of essentially spamming the key servers uh, a few years ago yeah it really is hard to use PGP nowadays for things like uh, that kind of web of trust type model of verifying packages so yeah they've removed that uh, they also put a blog post up saying that they were subpoenaed by uh, the US Department of Justice to provide uh, details on five different PyPI usernames. That included things like their real names, uh, their addresses, uh, any connection records that they had back to PyPI, uh, different payment details they may have provided to PyPI, which packages and they maintained and the various IP logs and all the things you can imagine from that. Uh, so uh, the you know, PyPI uh, main uh, maintainer uh, did provide these details after consulting with their lawyers, realizing they kind of had to comply with this order. Uh, as a result, they've actually included in this blog post the specific attributes that were provided and the various database queries that we used to look up those different records, if you want to know a bit more about that. And I think looking at this, it's probably, uh, they don't say it in here, but I think it's actually likely in response to recent different attacks that we've seen against the PyPI ecosystem. Uh, there's been a rash uh, amount of things like uh, typo squatting of popular packages and then injecting things like credential stealers into them and other types of malware like you know, crypto miners and the like. Uh, there's also actually I saw over the past weekend uh, PyPI had to block new account signups and package uploads as well uh, due to them basically being uh, spammed by a huge amount of new malicious users signing up and trying to create malicious projects and the things that they were not able to keep up with. So it sounds like PyPI are having a bit of a tough time upstream there will be interesting to see I guess what comes out of that. Uh, but they are, you know, really trying to work, I guess, some of these more fundamental security issues. So they are now saying that, uh, or third blog post, now saying that every account uh, that maintains a project or organization will be required to enable uh, two-factor auth by the end of this year. Now, they do support both uh, TOTP and WebAuthn. So you can use either, say, like the uh, time-based codes on uh, like a, an app on your phone or, you know, a WebAuthn, like a security key, like a YubiKey or similar. 
And actually, they you know they've, they've been this this kind of change has been in the works for a bit. Uh, they announced last year that for the most critical projects, uh, they actually gave away Google Titan security keys to those and mandated them to use 2FA already. So yeah, this has been in the works for a while. So good to see, I guess, that they're trying to secure some parts of that ecosystem. But yeah, this issue of I guess having anyone being able to sign up and upload a malicious uh, package is you know going to be plaguing them for a while. So it will be interesting to see how that falls out. Uh, so what else? So uh, a couple of our team members attended uh, the Linux Security Summit in North America uh, just recently. So John Johansson, uh, the upstream maintainer of AppArmor and Canonical employee, and Mark Esler from the Ubuntu Security team both attended. Uh, John actually presented in the LSM maintainers panel along with uh, Michael Salen, uh, Casey Shuffler, Mimi Zohar, and that was moderated by Paul Moore. And so basically all the various different, uh, all the major uh, LSM maintainers there. So Paul uh, is actually Linux, Mimi is the integrity subsystem, Casey is Smack, Michael is uh, Landlock, and John is uh, AppArmor, obviously. And so that's a really interesting presentation to listen to. I've got a link to that in the show notes. They've just been uploaded uh, just earlier today, actually, uh, where they all kind of discuss different issues in LSMs and you know, the kind of things that they would like to see and what are the most pressing issues and the like as well. Plus, uh, a lot of other interesting you know, talks have been uploaded from that as well. Uh, one that I checked out earlier was uh, around uh, building the largest working set of AppArmor profiles. So someone uh, in the community there has gone and created AppArmor profiles for well over a thousand different applications, uh, trying to confine the entirety basically of say a, a modern desktop system. That was a really interesting talk. Uh, Case Cook, uh, old Ubuntu security uh, luminary, uh, did a talk on progress of uh, bounce checking in C in the Linux kernel. And if you want to hear more, great contact with Case. Actually, we published an episode, uh, episode 145, where uh, Seth and John talked to him about uh, you know some of his upstream work on uh, Linux kernel self-protection project. So check that one out if you haven't already. Uh, what else? There was a cool talk from Lennart Pottering uh, about SystemD and TPM2. Uh, similarly, verifiable end-to-end secure OCI native machines. Uh, both of these kind of talking about things like um, TPM-backed full, uh, full encryption and the like. So that's cool to see. And uh, one other one that I haven't yet listened to, but I've been meaning to, is uh, controlling script execution, again, uh, by uh, Michael Sullivan from uh, Microsoft, where he's talking about ways to kind of control or be able to hook into when things like shell scripts are executed or Python scripts are executed. Because at the moment, we can do, say, things like confining you know, the Python binary, but if you go and run a script, that's got a different name, or, uh, and the way that gets executed is kind of handled by uh, bin format misc, if I remember right. And so, yeah, it's very hard for things like AppArmor and the like to confine things like script execution or have good control over that. So he's talking about different ways of trying to hook into that. Uh, so that's a really cool talk. Uh, well, I hope that's a really cool talk. I'll be checking that one out a bit later. So yeah, lots of different cool videos there. I've got a link to the entire um, playlist on YouTube there for all of their presentations. They've now just gone online. So yeah, check that one out if you're interested. And the last thing to talk about this week is uh, the recent announcement that 1804 LTS will be going into extended security maintenance on the 31st of May next week. So uh, yeah, not long now. 1804 LTS was released yeah, five years ago now on the 26th of April, actually, you know, five years and a month ago now uh, in, in 2018. 
I've got a link to a blog post by uh, Lex Andecki, uh, the uh, product manager of ESM, talking about uh, this you know, approaching uh, end of standard support period and the ESM period for 1804 and the different kind of options that you've got there, things like signing up for Ubuntu Pro if you want to keep your 1804 machines going or how you can upgrade to things like 2004 or 2204 LTS as well. So if you are running 1804 LTS, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, have a look into your options and see what you can do there. Uh, the security team will keep supporting 1804 though uh, with ESM for another five years. So yeah, we will be busy with that. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, as usual, if you want to get in contact with the team about anything that you've heard here, you can email us security@ubuntu.com. You can come and chat to us over IRC in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat or we are on Mastodon at Ubuntu security at fostodon.org if you want to go follow us over there as well. So thanks again, everyone, for listening again for another week. I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.